Getting ready to take on spring? Make your first move with the reliable performance and power of steel tools. From hedge trimmers and mowers to string trimmers and more, right now save $30 on the American-made steel FS56 RCE trimmer. Real steel. The FS56 RCE is made in America of U.S. and global materials. Offer valid through June 16, 2024. See participating retailer for details. Live from the 6th and Peabody studio and across the OutKick network, this is OutKick 360 with Jonathan Hutton, Chad Withrow, and Paul Kuharski. Second hour of OutKick 360 underway, Friday edition, 6th and Peabody, our location. Big thanks to Yeehaw Beer and Old Smoky Moonshine hosting our studio here each and every day. Guys, football is uh, right around the corner. Of course, preseason just whets the appetite a bit, but ultimately it makes us really, it really bogs down the month of August as you start to look ahead to September. But we do have week zero games kicking off tomorrow. Northwestern takes on Nebraska in Dublin. Then a few other games followed by CBS Sports Network has the broadcast of Vanderbilt and Hawaii at 9 o'clock Eastern, a kickoff there in Hawaii. Five-hour difference, I believe, for Vandy. From Central Time Zone to Hawaii. Is that all? I think so, this time of year, yes. Um, so, they'll kick off, I think, around 4 o'clock their time. There. We'll it's see if they can win. It's going to be weird watching a you know, game in complete daylight, for the most part, at <laughs> 9.30. You know, the, so, I, I was thinking about this, though. I, the Week Zero matchups, I, I don't like the name of it, but I am going to watch teams tomorrow that I will likely not see again all season. Um, live in real time, I'm saying. You know, like Nebraska, Northwestern. I don't know if I'm catching any of those games live unless it's a big noon kickoff game and Nebraska catches fire. And for Vanderbilt's sake, I'm only watching highlights if they're playing Georgia or watching them play Tennessee. Um, it, uh, that's the like there. I'm certainly not watching Hawaii again. So we'll get to see the uh, three quarterbacks listed on their depth chart, Chad. Yeah, and Timmy Chang and uh, the former Hawaii quarterback legend. In his first game as as head coach, Hawaii lost a lot. They uh, their presumed starter left for Nevada. I know, just reading a little bit about that game. But um, look, this is uh, I look at Vanderbilt with Clark Lee. Not that he's on any hot seat in year two, but man, oh man, is it going to get rough quick if they go to Hawaii and lose? Because anyone that's got Vanderbilt over two and a half wins, you're probably not winning that bet if they don't go to Hawaii and win. I think they will. I think Hawaii is pretty terrible. And I think Vanderbilt's going to be improved this year. And then, of course, Scott Frost, Nebraska. It, this, is, this is it. Every, every week could be it for Scott Frost. And if they go there and lose as a double-digit underdog, not going to be good. There are photos circulating. I saw Trev Alberts, Nebraska's AD, tweet this, uh, a beat writer for Nebraska. The scene in this public park where they're holding a pep rally for the Huskers in Dublin is amazing. It is a sea of red and white. People that made the trip to Ireland for the game. All Nebraska fans covering an entire park in the middle of Dublin, Ireland. Pretty cool. So what caused the, the brawl, the Rams-Bengals brawl yesterday that involved Aaron Donald and a Bengals helmet? It was a lot of back and forth between Lyle Collins and Leonard Floyd. It was three separate fights they got into. Uh, st starting before teamwork started. In a one-on-one -on -one and then a two-on-two -two drill, blocking someone rushing, it started. Then they had another fight during a team period. 
They tried to stop the momentum of the fighting with a special teams period and broke teams up. Then they went back out into another team period, and it was Lyle Collins and Leonard Floyd engaged in another fight. And it was this time where you had teammates jump in, including Aaron Donald, that led to this. So it was really a two-person fight that grew into a team-on-team fight that featured Aaron Donald wielding the helmet. And Lyle Collins obviously knew uh, to the Bengals. So there's no carryover from Super Bowl bad feelings on his part uh, that, that has any bearing on what, what unfolded yesterday between the Bengals and the ring. Reminds me a lot of, of the Titans uh, practices last week with the Bucks, where uh, Fournette and Simmons got into it at the end of practice. And that was a day two practice where uh, day one, Simmons owned the offensive line. They had clearly been challenged to show up and play better. I was down on one end of the field watching Simmons whip them again on day number two. They were trash-talking themselves as they're walking off to the sideline and the second team's coming on, pissed off. And then they started chirping with Simmons. Uh, Simmons didn't take kindly to uh, one particular uh, blocking technique. He starts chirping back with them. Fournette gets involved, and this was still an hour and a half left with practice to go. 11-on-11 takes place at the very end, and that on the final play is when Fournette and Simmons decided to go at it, knowing that they were going to get kicked out of practice if they fought. Um, this has a similar feel to it, but it, it went far further. It went a, a, a notch further. Keep in mind, this is also the same offensive line that was trying to, to take up for Quentin Spain last year during the Super Bowl when Aaron Donald had his way with Quentin Spain. Quentin Spain, after the, after the game, in the locker room in Los Angeles, is tweeting out excuses for his play at the time. He's no longer on that Bengals offensive line. But I no doubt the, the offensive line coach and this new regime that's up front protecting Joe Burrow remembers what happened, was reminded what happened, and was coming off a day where Aaron Donald probably had his way with them again. And the coaches feed into it, uh, the motivational factors with it, and it, it boils over a bit when the, some of the best in the league continue to look like the best in the league against you. Because you know you're going to hear it for a second day when you go inside. Well, Lael Collins, too, you know, not the history between those two teams with him joining the team, but he does have a history of getting suspended for fighting. He took right. up for, for Dak Prescott at one point and got suspended for that reason. So he's a guy who's known to, to mix it up. Floyd's obviously not afraid to mix it up also. The response from both coaches interests me because Sean McVay – got very physical with the team and got in the mix trying to break it up as it was happening. And afterward, he's saying, you know, we're just thankful no one got hurt. And, uh, you know, I know I was a meathead at times in my playing days when I was playing, so I'm sure I did stupid stuff and all of this. And I agree with what Bobby Carpenter said. You're not going to hear a player ask for a suspension out of this from Aaron Donald for doing that. I agree with that, but I'll also say if he connected and hurt somebody, I think the tone would be very different. You know, the still, Coming out of that practice. The, the still images from the, the photographers there are out, and you can see the connection with the helmet uh, where it makes contact with another Bengals player w- wearing the helmet. It doesn't hit someone with a helmet off, um, so it's not like he hit the player that he ripped the helmet off of. Um, and you can see like a bend in the, the helmet that he's using on the still photo where it makes contact with the Bengals player. 
It's weird. And one helmet wasn't enough for him. At one point, he had a helmet in each hand. <laughs> it's also weird to me that the NFL, who can do almost anything they want, they have all-knowing power. You know, you, you have to turn over your cell phone to the NFL if they demand it, and you're Tom Brady, right? And you may get penalized for not doing that if you decide to destroy evidence about a football being deflated or not. But yet, no, guys, we have no, hey, practice? No. We're talking about practice here. Well, Do whatever you want in practice. In, Nothing could happen. Paul, I think in spirit of the rule, the not having legislation over practice seems to be geared towards the individual team practice. I don't know if they're thinking that joint, joint practices just recently took off across the league. Yeah, we, would see, we would see it some, but it wasn't like every team was going to have a joint practice that preseason. And maybe in, in theory, uh, you, you like that the teams are in charge of their own discipline as they prepare for that upcoming week. But when it's one organization against the other, you know if something happens and it's up to the team, on, especially on a, a franchise player, nothing's really going to be coming down the pike for him discipline-wise. Also, I, I mean, I think the one case that you could make, and I, I, I'm the one of us that has the least problem with it not being an NFL thing, but there are NFL officials officiating these practices and throwing flags at these yeah. practices. So uh, I, I think you could argue if these officials are sorting through penalties – um, that, that they could adjudicate, you know, if they see something that would result in um, league discipline in, in a, a game setting, the preseason game that's typically being played two days later, that they think warrants something like that, that they could file a report to the league that might result in something. I, I, I might buy that argument. Um, and and I, I think it, there are none of these that are going on where one of the teams isn't using its two days of, of uh, NFL officials. Well, I think they just got the, the, the rule in the spirit of it is right when it's an individual team practicing yep. against the individual team. I think we've entered the murky area, like you were talking about, Hutton, with two different teams going head-to-head where one team could negatively affect another team's fortunes by doing something outside the rules over the course of a practice, the NFL, for all they're concerned with, actually needs to be concerned about that. There needs to be a change in their protocol with this. If they're going to continue to have joint practices, well, the NFL can suspend based on someone doing something really beyond the pale of what you should be doing to another team in a practice. If you do it to your own team, I understand them saying that is a club matter. If someone is going low on someone and tears someone's leg up and they're out for the season, well, if you think that they were maliciously doing something to someone, then you can suspend them as a team because he only affected his teammate and your club. Yeah, are they- but if, if Aaron Donald, again, is wielding his helmet and connects with someone who doesn't have a helmet on and that guy misses half the season with a concussion, the league should be able to punish Aaron Donald and not leave it up to the Rams to do it. You know, the, the, the guys that come to mind, just the fights we've seen, uh, the ones that are ingrained in my head witnessing, like Garrett Blunt, the, for the one preseason he was with the Titans, uh, he, was, he was not afraid to fight. And then Vince Young and Donnie Nicky, uh, safety Donnie Nicky from Ohio State, and Vince Young running to the defense of a receiver who was laid out over the middle. And he, goes, he does like the flying swan karate kick on Donnie Nicky to his chest, and then they start brawling. Um, in inside the practice bubble. I mean, 
nothing came of that. You handle it internally and you move on. But if you have another team involved there, I think for the protection of the other player and the other team, if it's up to the other organization to discipline their own, chances are they're not going to do that. Um, and it, maybe he ends up getting fined and that's all that's warranted here uh, from the Rams' point of view. But I'm sure the Bengals would, would love to see more from discipline-wise on that. There's well, a lot more than that one player involved in it. Yeah, and I think... Yeah, they would from a competitive standpoint. Um, it was interesting what Bobby was telling us about players just aren't going to... You're not going to hear them clamor for him to get suspended, even with what he did, out of a practice fight. Because or they know they've done said. it, too. Yeah. But I, I just... I really expect the league to look at all this and come back and say, okay, this, we're going to change this or attempt to change this for joint practices only. That you may see, while we're not going to see Aaron Donald suspended, I don't think it's going to happen, uh, I believe that this may change their thinking on how they adjudicate joint practice issues from here on out. And honestly, it should. It absolutely should. Oh, I'm, I'm it- fine with the league having jurisdiction over one person negatively affecting someone else in a joint practice if they do it intentionally. Again, the example here is very easy. If he connected and someone was injured, or if you had a fight where someone was seriously injured, then the league should be able to step in and do something. I do think anything expanding the discipline envelope, Hutton, would require CBA uh, inclusion, so the union would have to be involved. The CBA would come back and say, let's not have joint practices. I feel like that would be their answer to it. I think some players don't mind it. The uh, the the players who don't like it, they want something voice back, their opinion. They, 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 anytime um, you're giving something up, you want something back. Uh, particularly from a weak yeah. union that that loses out every time there's a ne- well, you know, negotiation. The, the NFL will find teams for violating the CBA at their own practice. You know, so in that in that regard, they do step in. Right, but that's players versus team not league versus team, so the, to speak. The, what's more likely is they just start taking up cell phones at the door. Because even at Titans training camp, they have people that go around the phone police and just scream, you know, that make sure everyone can hear, no video, no video, no video recording. Can you imagine if I had the video of the, uh, uh, if this happened and I had the video, I'd be, be being crucified by the Titans fan base for being a turncoat and, and, and uh, a snitch. Well, they, I was a snitch when I reported on the practice that they had during COVID. Is this person who filmed this being called a snitch? Well, this uh, I guarantee you they are uh, it, because it's just someone that was there for their corporate sales day. It was like sweet holders or corporate sponsors that were there. Those are the only people and allowed to watch practice. So it was someone in that group. They've narrowed it down by the article I read that that was a corporate group in that end zone and that angle that was being shot Snitches. from. That did it. So, yeah, I, well, Paul, I bet there are Rams fans yeah. who were mad at that guy. But the difference is they, they were told to remove it, and they did, and luckily someone else had a screen grab of it. Yeah. Because it was previously deleted. Hard to believe that's the only video that surfaced of it. It, it. it is. I wonder how small of a group it was. Like at the Titans practices, it's manageable because they have so few people there on a given day. What, what is it, you think, huh? 200? 250? Yeah, yeah well, there's, probably. There's better yeah. footage possessed by the teams that we'll never see. Oh, sure. But they did, in this case, they did allow still photography. You know, there are periods now where they don't allow any 
cameras whatsoever. Well, yeah, at the Titans practices, when the, I mean, when there, the media video is cut off, the, the still photography is cut off except by team people. There are professional, like, still photos from of From Cincinnati the, Inquirer. Yeah. I mean, which are, like, right in the middle of the... Swinging. Zoomed in, yeah. Yeah. So, at least... Uh, I mean, it would have it gotten out through that. We just wouldn't have the video of it and the sound. It's not as dramatic. Everything else. Yeah. They're going to discipline him, Chad. They're not going to let, let him play in the final preseason game this weekend. That, against that, that would just be such an amazing troll announcement to make. <laughs> Guys, we've thought long and hard about this this penalty, and he's not going to play. So he, he's, he cannot participate in this game. Mitchell Trubisky is starting for the Steelers on Sunday in the final preseason game, which makes it three for three. Do you guys read into it that this is the announcement without telling us that he's the starting quarterback for week one? Or the fact that they have their starting quarterback starting three straight preseason games is worth mentioning because this is still an open competition with him and Kenny Pickett. I think he'll be the starting quarterback for week one. I, I don't know how much this uh, announces that or how much it was a foregone conclusion. He's been that way before, the whole time. Unless he was terrible in the preseason and in training camp practices. Yeah. That's what it was going to take for him not to be it. They didn't want to rush Pickett, and, uh, and, and they – kind of set this course when they signed him that you know we may draft somebody but our intention is for this guy to be our guy at the beginning the guy who's helped himself the most as crazy as it sounds might be mason rudolph because teams have called pittsburgh trying to trade for him according to reports to uh, be a number two yeah yeah but if i mean he's he would be right now he's they're trying to determine if they're going to keep three or two. So he's either on the open market or he could be on another roster. Um, if you ask me prior to the preseason, give me a backup quarterback that's going to help himself the most. I'm not even thinking about Mason. No, me all. neither. And, I, I thought he was done. And, and also, going back to Trubisky and, and Pickett, this was never a competition. They, they wanted Trubisky to start. That, that, that's the signal to me. Now, I say that because I'm saying it's not an open competition, but what it's always been is the quick hook effect yeah that the moment things go south you're gonna see Kenny Pickett and they knew that when they drafted him hey we got a guy who's our future but we with Mitchell Trubisky you got a guy who's got a little bit of experience that can help now but if we're not as good as we thought and we're in a situation where we need something to give some juice to the offense here's our guy he's just gonna start a little bit earlier than we expected as being the franchise guy that that's that's where they are that the the fact that they gave Pickett some first-team reps after the first preseason game, he, he played on the third string for that first preseason game. And then the following week of, of training camp was getting reps with the first... I thought then, like, wow, maybe this guy has, has risen to the point where they're trying to put a little pressure on Trubisky just to see if Trubisky can take the heat a little. And he did. I got... For as much praise as Pickett has been receiving, uh, media in Pittsburgh, those covering the team, those around the team have all said Trubisky's been very good. Yeah, nobody's knocking him. Yeah, it's not like it's uh, they're making a horrible decision. And I think that gives them a little bit of time. The time to do it is, of course, either at the bye week or they have a short week. They have a Thursday night game, week three, against Cleveland. And then they have that long weekend. That if, if things start out really bad... And I don't know if really bad is like 0-3 or if it's 1-2 or if it's just quarterback play, but that's when you make the move, don't you? 
to keep everything alive for what you try to do, and knowing that sure. Pickett has played well in the preseason. Or do you not read into the preseason all that much? Like, I, I don't know who to believe it might not. on what preseason means anymore. They might not read too much into it. They might read more into, into practices. You don't know how much necessarily he's gotten with the ones, how much, or, you know, how satisfied they truly are with, with Trubisky. And, uh, I, again, I, I've, I've said it. We've discussed it a lot. You know, they should be a running and defensive football team. So ball security may be the number one issue for them. Ball security and hitting wide open guys, making smart decisions. And I think we all think that Trubisky in, in his big second chance, I know it's just his third team, but his big second chance to play is probably capable of those things with better coaches in a, in a better circumstance. We'll see. I mean, I'm not convinced that Trubisky would be better than Kenny Pickett even at doing that uh, right off the bat. But th- they brought him in for a reason because he does have experience and they think that he could be that guy that is efficient enough and doesn't lose games for them in the meantime as they get Kenny Pickett ready. But they could think it would be, to me, Pittsburghian to think, you know what, if Trubisky can do those things and they can play well given those circumstances, a, a Pickett season on the bench would really be great. I think they believe that now going into it. That's the hope. I think if you're Pittsburgh and you're playing Kenny Pickett, something's gone wrong. Yeah, not circling dates on the calendar right. saying that, we can get him in here it's not or we can knock, get him in here. It's not a knock on Kenny Pickett. That's just they're viewing this as we brought Trubisky in to be the starter. We drafted Kenny Pickett to eventually be the franchise quarterback, but we don't see that happening this year because we like our roster and think that we can win this way with Trubisky. If they're not winning that way, I believe it's going to be a very quick Entrance into the league as a starter for Kenny Pickett. Hit us up on Twitter at Outkick360. Coming up, we discuss in our SEC spotlight today the Kentucky Wildcats. Year two with Will Levis at quarterback, new play caller, but here is Mark Stoops with a very efficient defense, a steady and consistent defense, and a run game. Can they find the consistent quarterback play from the guy who can really sling it? We'll discuss expectations for Kentucky, who's Pick second in the SEC East, according to the media at SEC Media Days, next on Outkick 360. You ready? Showtime. On May 3rd, summer starts with the fall guy. What are you doing later? Let's drink a spicy margarita. Make some bad decisions. Yes! Audiences are falling in love with the most entertaining film of the year. Fall Guy. Fall Guy. Fall Guy. That's what the poster said. See Ryan Gosling and Emily Blunt in the movie critics say exists to make you happy. Trying to make it out? Nope. Because I don't either. It's not what I'm into right now. What are you into? Talking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the Fall Guy. Only in theaters May 3rd. Read it PG-13. Friday edition Outkick 360 across the Outkick network. Today's SEC Spotlight, we head north. The Kentucky Wildcats in Lexington. A lot of buzz and a lot of reason for optimism. Last season, the second time that Stoops' program has won 10 games in a season in four years. Two times in four years. And before that, it took 41 years to reach that mark. He has Kentucky playing at a very consistent pace. And while we are looking to the arm of Will Levis and how they replace Wondell Robinson, guys, I'll start by saying the secret to Kentucky's success last year was their run game. They ranked sixth in the SEC. They were fewer than 40 yards per game from leading the conference in rushing. 
That's how small the gap was and how good they were up front of the offensive line running the football with Rodriguez. Can they repeat that? Over under four and a half, where we would rank them in the SEC for rushing yards per game. And I think the bonus question would be behind AM and Georgia, their defense ranked as well as any team in the conference. They only allowed 21 points per game last season. Can they do that? And if you pair the two together, what does it mean for the Kentucky Wildcats in 2022 coming off the 10 win season? Rodriguez is missing how many games at the beginning? At least two. Here? At least two. I think that might be enough to to knock their rushing average down. I don't I don't know. Maybe against Florida it knocks their rushing average down. So I think your number is is a good one there. I'm going to take the over. Yeah, I don't think they're going to run it the same way they did a year ago. Uh, but it is crazy. Chris Rodriguez is just a little over 1,100 yards away from breaking Benny Snell's career rushing record at Kentucky. So he's he's a terrific player and a big loss for however long he's out for Kentucky. Um, they lost a good amount defensively. They also brought in some really good transfers. Uh, Kedron Smith from Ole Miss will start at corner, being one of them. Hutton, you alluded to replacing Wandell Robinson. That, to me, is the top bullet point for Kentucky this year offensively. I think they're going to run the ball well once Rodriguez is playing again in full go. But finding you know Tavion Robinson, who at Virginia Tech had 404, 592, and 559 yards receiving in his three years and nine touchdowns. Javon Baker from Alabama really did nothing. Seven receptions for 101 yards and a touchdown in his career at Bama. What's he going to be at Kentucky, though? They get a freshman that's going to play a lot, Barry and Brown from right here in Nashville, from Pearl Cone. The trifecta of those guys, can they get close to Wandell Robinson's production from a year ago? I don't know because they use Robinson in all sorts of ways. And he was their go-to guy to make a big play happen. Um, I'm not seeing it as much from Kentucky this year. I, I think it's a battle for who's best. The big question to me is who's going to be number two in the SEC East? Kentucky's got as good a shot as, as Tennessee. I think if we're looking at the top two contenders to do that. But, man, I, I, I see Wondell Robinson as just an enormous loss for this team. Yeah, you talked Given about, what they have coming in to replace him. You talked about Traylon Burks being an enormous departure for Arkansas the other day, and uh, Robinson would, would look to be, you know, on, on par with that for, for Kentucky. I'm surprised how many people are as into Kentucky as, as they are. Well, it's, their, it's the style of play. I can tell you right now, I can – describe how Arkansas wins football games. I can do the same for Kentucky. Their defense is going to show up and hold you to a certain amount of points. That's why many believe they are closest to the wide gap in the SEC East to Georgia because they can defend. And they are very consistent with that, with Stoops' defense. Um, And then you have to talk yourself into the transfer portal working out for them offensively. If it does, and the young players step in, and Will Levis... Uh, ups his play, which is up and down. They did not press the the button for the, the X button or whatever it is for the, the long uh, top off the defense type throws last year. I thought they'd do more of that. Um, if they're able to connect and, and expand the field a bit and have some explosive plays to add with that run game, 
I think that's why that you see the optimism because I can tell you they're going to be very good up front of the offensive line. And defensively, they're just very sound. They play a, a, a sound style of football in Lexington. I think the most underrated part of Will Levis's game is his running ability. Uh, I think he's sneaky really good in that department running it. He made a lot of mistakes last year. You mentioned up and down play. There were games where he was flat out bad with decision making. That's, that's got to improve. I'm not the biggest Will Levis believer out there. I don't understand how he is a top-notch NFL caliber quarterback or prospect, honestly. When I watch him play, I, I don't really see it. Um, the other, you know, Liam Cohen – leaving now to go back to the Rams also, is there a drop-off there? They went back to the whole Quarterback McVay, coach guy. Uh, Shanahan tree with Scarangelo. Rich Scarangelo, I think, is his name, their offensive coordinator that came in from the 49ers this go-around. So is it going to be the same? Is there going to be an adjustment to that? Uh, that's another big question mark for Kentucky when you look at this team. Everyone liked what Liam Cohen was doing last year offensively, what they were trying to do and how they implemented Will Levis, and how they continued to run the ball that well with Chris Rodriguez. How do things change now that Liam Cohen's not there? Maybe not at all. Maybe it's a big big difference. They haven't beaten Florida in consecutive years, if I'm, if I'm remembering correctly, since like the 70s. Um, so they, they've got a breakthrough there, and they're on the road this time. They're on the road at Ole Miss. They're on the road at Tennessee. That's a tough th- three-pack there that could key just how good they, they are this season as well. Look at South Carolina at home, Mississippi State at home this year. Uh, Chad, any other home games stand out to you other than those Georgia. two? Georgia. Uh, they play Northern Illinois. <laughs> so if you're looking for a possible big upset, uh, Northern Illinois comes to Kroger Field. We talked about them with Vanderbilt and all the returning starters yeah. at Northern Illinois. That's an interesting non-conference game. But yeah, I mean, early on, they're going to have, they're going to sprinkle in some some easy wins. Miami of Ohio, Youngstown State, around that trip to Florida, early on in the season. Then they get Northern Illinois at home. They go to Ole Miss. Uh, the West opponent being at Ole Miss this year, as that's not easy. Obviously, that's also a bit of a break. They get Mississippi State. They get to Mississippi schools, Mississippi State and Ole Miss. You know, uh, Vandy this year, for instance, gets uh, Alabama as the West opponent. So that, that's not a break at right. all. So, and they're not going to Baton Rouge. Yeah, their schedule, to me, is very doable when you look up and down and to have another to, – to contend for another 10-win season. This is, I mean, this is the way you should schedule if you're a Kentucky or a Vandy or South Carolina. The first four games, they're hosting Miami of Ohio on September the 3rd, a week from tomorrow. They will visit Florida in a – what's going to be a great game. Then they have Youngstown State and Northern Illinois at home, back-to-back weeks before they start the grind of the SEC schedule in October. A, a great opportunity. Paul mentioned the, the back-to-back wins and how long it's been over the Gators. That is a launching pad for them. Circle that one. Because if they leave Gainesville 2-0, Chad, they, they are about the second-best team in the SEC's hype. I think it's very important. And uh, Paul's going to hate this, I know. But when you're scheduling in college football, and you are a power in college football, and while Kentucky's not some traditional power, they're in a powerful conference in the SEC. I'm not going on the road like Maryland is to Charlotte. I'm not scheduling games like that. I have argued this for years on behalf of Vanderbilt. I want two to three wins when I enter a big conference stretch. Like I want built-in 
the record's going to look okay in late September, right? Like, even if you've got an early season SEC game in week one or week two, where you have sprinkled around that two to three pretty much guaranteed wins, right? On your schedule where you know at some point the schedule's going to look good before you go on that that yeah. roll of games where every week's going to be tough. Well, and the fact that Stoops has been here long enough now. He's the second longest tenured coach in the SEC. He gets to see these schedules play out that are made years yeah. ago. You and, know? I, and I think, look, with all due respect to Northern Illinois, I think Kentucky has guaranteed themselves at, at worst 3-1. and one. I really think they're going to be at worst 3-1. and one. When they go to Oxford to play Ole Miss in the, on October 1st, they're going to be 3-1 and one at worst at that point, and that would be a loss at Florida. There are always those swing games, though. Last year, on their way to a 10-win season, second game, I believe, first conference game to kick off the SEC slate was against Missouri in Lexington. And that was a back-and-forth battle between Levis and Connor Bazelak. And Kentucky ends up holding on for the win there. I think it was a three-point game, maybe a one-possession game. And it was a really good game. You know, it changes the perception of how we view both programs because Missouri ended the schedule for them playing very good, uh, considering where they were around middle of October. Um, they stuck together and won some games against South Carolina. They played Vandy and one other one, maybe Florida, was their other win. Meanwhile, Kentucky points to now two 10 win seasons over the last four years, and one of those wins was in a week two matchup against Missouri where. The Tigers could have easily won that game on the road, considering how they started that game. They've got to do better in giveaway takeaways. 23 giveaways yeah. last year, 12 takeaways, well, three Levis. in the bowl game against Iowa. Yeah. Uh, that's they, Levis. They I mean, can't that, withstand that that's, again. That's his, that's his problem. Yeah, he, he's, he's got an issue with ball security. Um, Kentucky last year, if, if, maybe I'm, I don't think I'm completely making this up. Remember they had like a hangover game against UT Martin? Yes, yes. That was close. I feel like we watched that in an airport somewhere <laughs> coming back coming back from one from of these trips. Maybe, uh, yeah. Maybe I'm trying was, to was find it, it right now, and every time and I, I search it, all I see is the, having a, a yeah. struggle against somebody he should have dominated. Well, I think that, that was the game we were like, why are they not pressing the, the issue more down the field? Everything was just within a 10 to 15-yard box. There was no explosive plays. Or there, there were, but not not the consistent level that we thought that was going to open up with their new play caller and with the transfer from Penn State. And uh, Levis has a lot of expectation to live up to, but it was, it was Chattanooga, Chattanooga, not UT Martin. They won twenty eight to twenty. Finally, I've got the internet to work. Twenty eight twenty three. They beat Chattanooga on September eighteenth, and uh, I <laughs> remember that we were on our way back from Florida, Alabama, in the Jacksonville airport watching that. Because that would have been that weekend, September 18th, third week of the season. That is where they had a battle against the mocks of Chattanooga. 35-28 was the final uh, last September for Kentucky-Missouri. <laughs> but it was really, I mean, it was a struggle early on. Like It's amazing you go back on that season. that They got it going when they beat Florida, and then they destroyed LSU a week later. But had to battle it out at home to beat Missouri, as you mentioned. Had to battle it out in an ugly game at South Carolina to win 16-10. to Then they win by a touchdown over Florida. And that's when things, you know, started rolling for them a bit. They had that three-game stretch with Georgia, losing at Mississippi State, losing at home to Tennessee. But, um, yeah, that, that's – it wasn't all good for Kentucky last year. It, it ended well with 10 wins, but there were games that were a struggle against teams. I think they were 
far more talented than well, in, a, in a couple of instances. That, I think that's kind of the reason for optimism, though, is their defense is so, again, consistent that even if your offense isn't moving the football, they're holding teams. You, you need to score 21 points. Yeah. Like, like that's – it's more of a an NFL – mindset really than what we might see for a team that's averaging 31 plus in the sec there are many defenses in the league that go in week to week say hey just offense needs to get 22 points we're going to hold you to three touchdowns or less today and you can pretty much uh, sign your name to it that that's going to happen not that they win but the defense will do its job I, I feel that way about a stoops defense um jury's still out on will levis i'm i'm higher on him than most i i like the arm strength the arm talent um <coughs> And I think, I mean, going into the league, I think the, uh, his, the opportunity he's had, guys, the last two years to be coached and have the play callers from the league, from that system with McVay and Shanahan, now he has two guys that'll have great reference points for him across the league. I think that's extremely beneficial for him. It's crazy when you go up and down. You're talking about their defense, Hutton, and it was good. I mean, it was impressive. A lot of uh, scores in the teens for the yeah. opponents uh, throughout the year. But who they struggled against is also interesting. <laughs> Missouri, they gave up 28 at home. They gave up more points to Tennessee than anyone else in their schedule. They lost 45 to 42. They gave up 30 to Georgia and gave up 45 to Tennessee. They lost 31 to 17 to Mississippi, to Mississippi State. State also. But that three-game stretch, 30, 31, 45, given up in, in three straight games for Kentucky – Outside of that, you look up and down their schedule. They gave up 16 to New Mexico State, 17 to Vandy, 17 to Iowa, 21 to LSU, 13 to Florida. Mm. Uh, it's crazy, though. They just had that stretch where they gave up a ton of points, and they were pretty, they were pretty close to great the rest of the year defensively. And the points allowed, I mean, some of that are on turnovers and field position. Like against Chattanooga, just looking at the box score, uh, we'll have us through two picks that game. Against Chattanooga. Yeah, they, I know they threw a pick six to Alante Taylor in the Tennessee game. That was a big turnaround moment in the game. So the uh, Tennessee game uh, on October 29th is, is going to be a monster one. Where, where you do, would figure. Yeah, where, was, where will Mark Stoops catapult to, not job-wise, just in hierarchy or, or across the nation, if he has – his third 10-win season in five years at Kentucky. If he meets expectations. Well, let's ask Coach Cal. The top of yeah. – uh, yeah, yeah. Let's get his – in the interest of not staying in our lane, let's, let's try to get Coach Cal to the – by the way, hilarious that Mark Stoops said, I stay in my lane, then he took a shot at Shane Beamer in an interview. He took a side swipe at him and said, you know, we're about culture at our school, not about taking goofy photos and sunglasses. Or doing goofy dances and sunglasses that Shane Beamer had I mean, just done at South Carolina. Um, here's the answer to the question, Hudden. He is at the top of the list of coaches that haven't won a national title. Because I put him right there with some. I put him there with the case, with gonna, Kirk Ferentz, for instance. Yeah. You know, guys who are underappreciated that have done a really solid job at one place for a while. But I mean, he's not. He's not Dabo Sweeney. He's not Nick Saban. He's not Ryan Day, you know. Go go through the list of guys. I wouldn't say that about Ryan Day necessarily right now. Go through the list of guys who have won it, and that are consistently around the top. He's right below that list at Kentucky. Coming up, uh, new balanced Major League Baseball schedule. We'll discuss and what it means for maybe your favorite rivalries across the league. That's next on Outkick Three Hundred and Sixty.
Get ready for the greatest roast of all time. The Roast of Tom Brady. A Netflix live event happening May 5th. Hosted by Kevin Hart, the seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire by famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady, live only on Netflix. Paul, tell us about the new balanced balance quote-unquote major league baseball schedule that will be implemented next season yeah i hate this so um <clears throat> our division rivals uh have played 19 games against each other um for as long as we could remember yankees red sox people complain about seeing that all the time but that's where the hatred comes from giants dodgers cardinals cubs uh you know braves mats braves phillies uh you know, uh, I think the Orioles are probably happy about this because they get out from under well, seeing the Yankees and the Red Sox in Toronto, big spenders. Yeah, um, but, but I, don't, I don't know if that's true because that helps their attendance, though. Right. Like, well, this is going to help the attendance of some other teams because everybody's going to play everybody yeah. now, and you'll see you'll host everybody at least every other year. But if you're already playing the Red Sox and the Yankees at home, multiple right. You're, you're probably upset about so, it. So, look, I've always said baseball needs to embrace its differences. And it's different that baseball had 47% of your games were against division rivals. This takes it down to 32%, which is just like the NHL at 32%, a lot like the NFL at 35%. The NBA, I was surprised, is only at 19.5%. Huh. Uh, part of why the NBA is not good. In my estimation, I don't think this is good for baseball. I think in baseball, you have to construct a roster and manage a roster that is equipped to beat your division rivals. If you're the Yankees and you're not equipped to beat the Red Sox, that's trouble for you. And you take away two series a year, that adds up over time. Also, teams are too friendly as it is. And now you take away games and you become even more friendly. The, the fans certainly aren't more friendly. They still hate those rivals. But, uh, you know, you see the players palling around before games. I think we all hate that. And now there's more occasion for that, not, not less. I, I hate it. I, I, think, I think the division game should be more prominent. I don't love it. I'm with you. I think the division game should be more prominent. But let's also say this. This has nothing to do with Yankees-Red Sox in this decision-making. It has a lot more to do with Padres-Rockies and Marlins-Nationals. A lot of the most of the games you mentioned, the big rivalries we care about, those are few and far between from those other games that I just mentioned. Yeah, but I think <laughs> and even that's those where, that's games, where we can still, if you're the Yankees and Red Sox, there's still going to be interest no matter what. So we can diminish some of those matchups while helping some of these other markets get fresh blood in to their ballpark to see different teams and play everyone across baseball. I, I get what you're saying, and I, I, that's definitely what they're going for. But I think even some of those rivalries that you're talking about, there does become some familiarity and some, some uh, cont fan contempt. What for, prompted this? For that. I, I, Was I think it the COVID the idea, year? Well, no, I, I think the idea of getting the Yankees and the Red Sox and the Cardinals and the Dodgers everywhere um, – to, to help attendance everywhere and to dilute the, the, the matchups that yeah. Chad's talking about, 19 games between, who'd you say, the, the, the Rockies? The, the and Nationals the, and the Marlins, Rockies, yeah. Padres, uh, 
Pirates Brewers. I mean, I'm just going through division Divisions. matchups yeah, that, that makes no one cares about. Angels Astros. The Angels are trying to be sold, by the way, right now. The, the owner came out and said, good. we're exploring trying to sell the team. We've done everything we can here, and we're out. Probably a good development uh, for everybody. Though, look, I'm not on that side of it because my team is, is a, a, an arch rival of, of everybody. But I do think that those big rivalries are what sustains uh, the game in, in a lot of ways. I think is the other issue, like how often they're playing within the 19 games. Like it's all bunched together where you feel like in, in a three-week span, you've seen the same team eight or nine times. Well, that's a scheduling issue. I mean, you can fix that and spread it out better. Um, but, uh, you know, going from, 50, from 76 to 52 games against your division yeah. is, a, is a major, major change. I, I wanna, I, I'm with you, Paul. I don't like it, just initially hearing about it. I do, it's one of those things that I want to see it actually take place next season and then get into August and see how I feel about it. See if I have a change of heart when I start seeing the schedule take place. I haven't looked closely at the schedule. I wonder if they'll at least do like the NFL and put uh, divisional games at the end of the season so that if a division race is coming down to uh, close, you'll see Yankees, Red Sox in late September. Coming up, Brew McCoy ruled eligible. Austin Price of VolQuest broke the story. He joins us next on Outkick 360.